Our scripture reading this morning is from the revelation of the risen Lord Jesus to John, chapter 21, reading verses 1 to 8 and 22 to 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it, Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again, shall we? 
God, thank you for your word to us this morning. And uh, yeah, just get our, our minds thinking this morning and wrestling with some of these concepts. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now this morning is a bit of a challenge because uh, I know that I'm not the only attraction this morning. I know that our resident Robin is on fine form. So hopefully you're not going to be too distracted by the Robin. And if at any point you feel the need to shout, duck, I will do so. <laughs> so we're coming into land in our, in our whistle-stop tour of uh, the Bible under the All Things New banner based on uh, Pete Hughes' book. And we've been flying at somewhat breakneck pace over these last few weeks. But I hope you've been able to, uh, to keep up and that it's provided some sort of fresh insights into the wonder of Scripture and of God's plans and purposes for humanity and for our world. We're not quite back on the runway yet. We're in a sort of circling, bit of a holding pattern as we come towards the end. And we have two final themes before a summary in three weeks' time. Um, and those final themes are big ones, the themes of heaven and of hell. And uh, I want us to grapple with the idea of hell this week. I guess I got the, uh, the more challenging job in, uh, in many ways. We've got the slightly more uplifting task of heaven next Sunday. But there's a real danger of these, uh, these themes, that we get stuck in some sort of caricature, isn't there? And we miss what the biblical narrative is actually saying to us. I know I went to evangelistic events in my youth where I heard preachers say things like, if you got run over by a bus on your way home tonight, would you be ready to meet your maker? Would you know where you were going? It's quite a good line to get someone thinking, perhaps, but actually it's rather manipulative, isn't it? And it plays into a sort of fear mentality. You'd better decide to follow Jesus or else. Does that reflect God's nature, I wonder? In 1 John, we read, perfect love drives out all fear. This brings to mind to me the, uh, the image of God as a sort of, some sort of cosmic policeman who's waiting to beat us over the head of his truncheon the moment we step out of line. If we sin, we'll face punishment. He will bring us to justice. Another image to induce fear. So some go to the opposite extreme and hold an image of God as a sort of bearded white man sitting on a cloud somewhere in the ether, totally detached from the world at large, ineffectual, irrelevant. It's a sort of childish type of image. Or maybe there's that idea of uh, a totally benevolent God who loves everyone, welcomes everyone into his kingdom, whatever they've done, whatever they believe. That's a sort of universalism. With that perspective, everyone goes to heaven. It's so easy, isn't it, to end up with distortions of the image and nature of God and caricatures of his reality. The Bible speaks of a God of love, but also of a God who judges. We can't ignore or downplay either dimension of God's character. So how do we hold these things in tension? And where does this whole concept of hell actually fit in? First of all, let's deal with uh, a bit of a misconception. The Bible rarely speaks of heaven and hell in the same breath. 
The language in Scripture is more likely to be of heaven and earth. So the archetypal image of heaven up there and hell down below with its burning fires, although it's an attempt to illustrate some of the biblical language, isn't particularly helpful for us. In parts of the United States, some uh, Christians have set up what they call hell houses, decorated to scare the wits out of people during the Halloween season. They come with a distinct message. This is the type of suffering that you'll endure if you don't leave that life of sin and start following Jesus. Once again, fear reigns. In popular culture, the the language of hell is more likely to be associated with hell on earth. Just take a look at this assortment of newspaper headlines. Many of them taken from the uh, ongoing Ukraine crisis. Inside hell. Hell on earth. Welcome to hell. And then, uh, in terms of the current uh, economic crisis, pensioners face cost of living year from hell. Last weekend, I was reading an article uh, written by a Ukrainian woman who'd been the victim of horrendous abuse and rape at the hands of Russian soldiers. Young men, full of vodka perhaps, scared, high on adrenaline and inflicting terrible evils. Hell on earth. What does that phrase mean to us? When Russian soldiers first made a play on Snake Island and told the Ukrainians to surrender, the Ukrainian response was, go to hell. For starters, hell is a place where the rule and reign of God is ignored and suppressed and violated. It's interesting as you look at the New Testament where the language of hell is usually through the word Gehenna, both in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and also elsewhere. Gehenna was a valley which had become, next slide please, Judith. Gehenna was a valley, it had become a rubbish dump just outside the city walls of the southwest corner of Jerusalem. People would take their rubbish to Gehenna, where it would be consumed in a fire that never seemed to stop. If Jesus came to defeat evil, then anything contrary to his values and calling belongs outside the city in Gehenna, on the rubbish dump, so to speak. Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem, means city of shalom, or city of peace. Jesus was on a mission to overcome all those things which violated such shalom. And his people are called to do likewise. We're called to work for him in such a way that the hell-like features of this world are defeated so that Christ's shalom rules. We bring heaven to earth. But we do so knowing that we'll never achieve it fully in this life. We play our part, but one day heaven will come to earth. Recreation will take place. Hence the imagery of the new Jerusalem in Revelation. 
One day, all the forces of evil will be driven out of a city and God's rule will be fully known. Jesus' death and resurrection attest to that. But the fact is that for right order to be restored, there has to be judgment. If people are sorry for their misdeeds and humbly turn back to God, he welcomes them into his shalom. If people live in constant rebellion against him, they're choosing to put themselves outside of God's purposes and will face God's judgment. And so Pete Hughes puts it like this. Judgment flows from God's heart of love. Judgment is good news if you care about justice. It's good news for those who want an end to poverty and genocide and human trafficking. Those who want God's shalom but don't want judgment fail to realize that God's judgment is the only path to his shalom. Evil must be dealt with before there can be reconciliation. What this means, I think, is that a vision of hell which is primarily about torture and torment misses the point and arises from a warped impression of the nature of God. It's more of a place of evil outside of God's city so that it can no longer violate God's created order. Now, what hell looks like beyond the grave is open to many different interpretations. There is rich biblical imagery and language in Revelation and elsewhere. But once again, the emphasis is on separation from a perfect, holy, and life-giving God. God's church should surely focus on the God of love who invites us into his purposes and his embrace rather than inducing fear as to the consequences of ignoring him. And so Pete Hughes, again in his book, he writes, he writes this, Hell reminds us that the day is coming when the perfect love of God will cast out all fear and the forces that lead to fear. Evil will be judged and cast out of a city. What will be left is love and shalom, where humanity can flourish, and live the lives they were made for. This is incredibly good news. Hell is incredibly good news. Now, I doubt you came into this building this morning thinking, hell is incredibly good news. <laughs> and I'd encourage you actually to mull that over and what Pete Hughes is getting at with that line. What's behind it? And I'd also encourage those of you who are in, uh, in life groups this week, as uh, for many of the groups you're, ex you're following this series with us, that you really wrestle with some of these ideas, some of these concepts, perhaps some of the things Pete Hughes is saying, some of the things that you've got in Revelation uh, 21, which I guess as a passage forms something of a backdrop both for this week and for next week. But in that, in that passage, in Revelation 21, you had that one line that really stands out in the middle in, in verse 5 of a particular section that was read to us. Where Jesus says simply, Behold, I am making all things new. And that's what we need to hold on to, isn't it? As we think about our world 
its state of decreation, but the fact that one day all things will be made new. Amen.